University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, last week we started a new series, Moneyball, Why Jesus Talks About Money and Work and Busyness. And when we looked at it really closely, Jesus spoke about these things 25% of the time in the Gospels. That's a lot. This morning, we're going to zero in on focus on busyness. And for this, I want us to turn to the story of the Exodus. Now, the story goes that, that Joseph became the governor of Egypt, and his family eventually moved there because of the great famine. And many generations passed, and the Egyptians, uh, they eventually forgot about Joseph, about how he and his God had helped the Egyptians, had helped them advance in a time of drought. Instead, Pharaoh saw that there was this overpopulation of the Hebrew people as an opportunity for a sustainable servant workforce. So the Egyptians put slave masters over the Hebrew people to, to force them into labor. They used them to build the great cities of Pithom and, and Ramses, and, and, and they worked the people tirelessly, making their lives bitter with harsh labor. They made them build bricks and mortar, and as the Hebrew people continued to multiply, Pharaoh and, and set an edict into place in which he said that all newborn Hebrew baby boys must be killed. So the Egyptians' oppression spread not only from their work to psychological and from psychological to infanticide. And as Moses arrives into the scene in chapter 5 of the Exodus narrative, Pharaoh increases the ceaselessness of the oppression of the people by increasing their workload, saying to the slave drivers and to the taskmasters, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. Make them work harder for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. You see, the system of Pharaoh was unimaginable. Pharaoh had put the people into a perpetual state of production. The slaves had to produce more bricks with less resources. They were made to build more storage units for the bricks. The cycle continues. There was no end in sight. As a great Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, put it, the rhetoric, the rhetoric is restlessness. In that context, all levels of social power, the Egyptian gods, Pharaoh, their supervisors, their taskmasters and slaves, all uniformly caught in and committed to the grind of endless production. In the system of Pharaoh, it is unimaginable to have restfulness for anyone. It is work and work and busyness and more. The old saying goes that as much as things change, they, they really do stay the same. And we might not live in the ancient Nile Delta and Pharaoh's system, it still rules today. We live in the busiest culture that's ever walked the face of the earth. According to a recent study, the average full-time worker in America uses 130% of their waking hours. Obviously, they're calculating in that, that, that we multitask on so many things. But if you really stop and think about our day, it's, it's difficult to add up all the tasks, all the projects, all the appointments, all the consumption that fills our waking hours. 
Our schedules are booked. We're, we're always in a rush. There's more emails to check. There's always a text to reply to. Do you find yourself that there's always one more problem to solve, one more fire to put out? There's always another article to read, another show to watch, and there are app to open, another notification to check. And while you pick up this one thing, you quickly put it down to pick up this other thing or maybe juggle them at the same time. According to cardiologist Meyer Friedman, he defined this as hurried sickness. Above and above all, a continuous struggle in an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequent in the face of opposition, real and imagined from other persons. There is no time to stop. We're always on the go. We're, we're always exhausted. We're always scatterbrained. We're in this sense of ceaselessness on and on. As one author put it, busyness is a drug and I'm addicted. You see, the reality is that while we might complain about being busy, this symptoms of hurried sickness, we like busyness. And in fact, it makes us feel important. In fact, Columbia and Harvard and Georgetown universities conducted several studies that discovered that it is more culturally acceptable to be busy rather than to be appear as a person of leisure. In one study, the participants read a short description of a 35-year-old man named Jeff. Specifically, participants read one condition that read, Jeff works long hours and his calendar is always full. In contrast, other participants read another condition that said, Jeff does not work and has a leisure lifestyle. And after reading these scenarios, participants rated their perceived social status of the person described. And guess what they rated Jeff as? Busy Jeff was seen in high status. As one author put it, but most of the year, it has taken one to feel unused, a humble brag, self-deprecating, yet showed effort to tout one's own importance, value and desirability at work among friends, and are information drenched 24-7 work workplace where time for leisure has become even a scarcer commodity for many professionals than money to buy the luxury goods we're so busy earning. But it's not just work. We, we love being busy. We love coming home from work just to cook, just to take our kids to the overbooked schedules we've placed on their lives, just to come home, just to watch uh, many shows, just to read another article at night. And, and then we fill up our, our weekends with so many home projects and renovations that we convince ourselves we need, we just, we need to book this trip to do this activity, to do more stuff on and on and on. See, Pharaoh's system reigns supreme because we worship the God of Pharaoh. We are the Hebrew people lorded over by the ceaseless cycle of busyness, and we just don't recognize that we are enslaved to it. We're filling our lives with so much, but we fail to realize is that life is quickly here and then gone tomorrow. Or as James puts it in James chapter 4, verse 13, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow I will go to this, that city and spend a year there to carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, James is writing to a group of busy people. That's why he says, now listen. That's a literary way of saying, hey, hey, slow down. I've got something to tell you. Stop, stop talking. Stop doing things. Just listen to what I'm about to say. And after he gets their attention, James goes on to write that you, you think to yourself, well, well today, at, at the latest tomorrow, 
we're gonna go do this stuff over here, we'll conduct this business, and then we'll get to this other stuff tomorrow. We, we all get this, we have visions and dreams and hopes and longing, which soon translate into plans, and plans is how we're gonna accomplish what we want to do, where we want to go, the things that we want to see and to do in this city or that city. And since we have a plan, we put all of our energy and our resources and our time and our money and our life into fulfilling that dream, and we get so busy, really, really busy doing exactly what we think will make us happy and content and satisfied. But then, and that's a hard turn that James makes. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The Greek word he uses here is atmos, which means vapor or breath or, or mist. Thank you, James. I don't know if to take that as a compliment or as an insult. Your life is a mist. See, remember that James is writing to a Palestinian audience. And the region of, of Palestine is dry desert climate with very low humidity. But at night, it comes and it, it cools the deserts. Clouds form in the mountains. And yet when the sun rises, it burns away the mist. Life is a mist, James says. Quickly mist forms and quickly it is gone. That's life, James says. Just like that. It's here and then it's gone. Life is short, time is precious. We are fragile beings that live fragile existence. Life is here today and gone tomorrow. Our mist dissolves quicker than we can even begin to wrap our minds around. And in many regards, James is talking about how quickly birth and death come out of our limited lifespan. In fact, in, in James' day, the average lifespan was roughly 35 years old. So man, I would be burning past that right now in Jesus' day. I mean, in our day and age, you think about it, it's 78.74 years. Yet we live in the most highly advanced societies on planet Earth. Still, the leading cause of death is heart disease and cancer and chronic respiratory disease and strokes and diabetes. Oh, don't forget about the things that you can't prevent on a given day, like uh, unpreventable accidents, falls, fires, prescription uh, miscalculations, more and on. We live in an accident-prone society. Our mist dissolves quicker than we care to admit. Stop and consider how the busyness of your life affects your life. Have you ever considered that your busyness affects your perspective? As one author put it, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, is that we will become so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. And don't get me wrong, we know these things. I know these things. It's just we're so busy doing the stuff we need to do that we'll get to the life that Christ desires for us tomorrow, 10 years down the road. And how much of our life do we waste doing things that really don't matter? How much of our time and our money and our priorities do we give to things that seem so important to us, though if we're honest, maybe they're not so important? You see, busyness leads to complaining and belly aching and, and acting like we're victims and competing with others. Busyness leads to fighting with ourselves, with others, and with God about the things that we want to happen now, not down the road. And we give so much energy and so much criticism to things when they don't go the way we want to all around our busyness. 
How many of you are willing to admit that the theme song of our life is, well, tomorrow we'll get to that. Next week, I'll handle it. My goal this year is I really can't stop and think about that now because I've got to get to this. You see, busyness fails to give us perspective. And because busyness fails to give us perspective, it changes our priorities. Busyness fills our lives with things that have no bearing on our soul and the transformation of our life and the world. But when our perspective is skewed, then we fill our lives with projects and these activities. Busyness leads us to fill our lives with endless hours of entertainment, of sports and media and, and social media, and so many distractions that bring no real purpose and value to our life. And busyness alters our priorities away from the love of God and love for others and the way we love ourselves because we make so much about our life about us. And yet, we buy into the lie that, that restlessness makes us feel inadequate if we're not doing something. And this endless rat race of Pharaoh's system leads us to 24-7 multitasking because how else are we going to achieve and accomplish and perform and possess what we really want? We are insane if we really think about it because we're doing the same thing over and over again, doing buying, working, hustling, experiencing, and expecting it to make us happier and healthier and better. Yet we find ourselves continuing having to do these things again and again, trying to get what we want, but never really getting it. Do you remember this picture that went viral a couple of years ago? Is this guy who was mowing the grass with a tornado in the background. And this is completely legit. And when reporters asked him why he was mowing his grass so close to a tornado, he said, well, I need to keep an eye on the grass. You know, you've got to keep it looking good at all times. And of course, when this picture goes viral, uh, there's all sorts of other fun versions that came out there. Uh, there's one with more than grass where Godzilla is coming in the background. Uh, this one, maybe not so funny, the Hindenburg crash <laughs> back behind him. Uh, this one in the city of Atlanta during the Walking Dead, the zombie outbreak. And then, of course, my favorite, uh, him mowing grass or I guess snow plowing during the Battle of the Planet Hawk. Do you ever feel like our busyness makes us completely oblivious to the things going on around us? You see, busyness affects the way that we connect with the world around us. More specifically, it disconnects us from healthy relationships and community. How often do we miss out on that important conversation because we're so wrapped up in our phones? How often do we miss out on the moment of deepening a friendship because we're so fixated on the things that we think we need to do? How often do we miss out on opportunities to know and to be present with others, to have this work thing or this project or this trip get in the way of that thing? And if we can't even get our relationships right because of our business, how can we ever expect to be followers of Christ who are called to be present in the community around us, to know people's stories, to know the needs of the people around us and to be like Christ to meet those needs around us. As the great Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote, the unhappy man is always absent from himself, never present to himself. Stop and think about that for just a second. The unhappy man is always absent from himself, never present to himself. You see, when we go back to the story of Exodus, this domineering system of Pharaoh, the endless busyness and production, it just... It seemed it would crush the Hebrew people's soul to no return. And then God steps into the picture. 
In Exodus 5 through 6, right after Pharaoh implements an even harsher system, God declares to Moses, now you see that I see what's happening with Pharaoh. Because how mighty his hand is, he will never let the people go. I have heard the groans of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are slaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring out of Egypt. I will take off the yokes of the Egyptians. I will make you my own people and bring you to the place that I promised you. See, God was saving God's people. God was releasing them from the chains of Pharaoh's system and into a new system, a new way of life. And God's system is not one of oppression and ceaseless work and, and toil and busyness and the enslavement of perpetual production. The Old Testament writer Walter Brueggemann put it this way, into this system of hopeless weariness erupts the God of the burning bush, that God heard the despairing fatigue of the slaves, resolved to liberate the slave company of the Israelites from the exploitative system and to recruit Moses for the task of emancipation. See, God is literally jostling the people free from Pharaoh's grip and journeying them to the place of their forebears in the promised land. And even as the people of God are leaving Pharaoh's system and as God is providing for their needs in the wilderness, God refused to let them return back to Pharaoh's mentality. Do you remember the story of how God provided manna to the people? It wasn't that God provided months worth of manna at one time and they had to go and work and collect. Instead, God provided them what they needed for this day, a single day's task, something that's more easy than was expected. And soon God is building this new model of a system. He's calling them the Ten Commandments. And the first command was to have no other gods before God. But then God also called them to, to this, to a place of rest in the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath and to keep it holy. You see, God is implementing a new way of life. And Jesus picks this up in the Gospels when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his followers to loosen the shackles of worry and fear that comes with worrying about what tomorrow will bring, of what we will need to eat or drink or sleep or what we will need to wear. See, God's mode of operation is to provide for all that we need for our daily bread. And Jesus even models this by the way that he conducted his ministry, often finding a place to rest, withdrawing to a lonely place to renew. He was about the work of transforming the world, but not about the work of making us so busy that we become slaves to ceaselessness. And Jesus is inviting us to revolt against the system of Pharaoh and find a new way of life, not one of ceaseless production, of keeping up with the Joneses in all its forms. Instead, in God, we find Sabbath, we find rest, we find renewal, we find transformation. I want to return back to that word that James used earlier. He said, what is your life? It is a mist. That word, atmos, it also can translate into life is breath. Life is but altered by the single breath that we take. We intake breath and intake newness breathing out the old. Breath is an idiom for life throughout all the scriptures. Psalm 1815 declares, the valleys of the sea were exposed, the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, as the 
blast out of the breath of your nostrils. The scriptures declare that God breathed life into existence. Again and again, the scriptures tell us that God gives us breath. That God desires to breathe something new into us. And so maybe the first step in revolting against Pharaoh's system, even the thought of returning back to normal, may God challenge us to consider that God desires something different than busyness and ceaselessness. And it seems so insurmountable, but maybe that first step, we need to listen to James' words this morning is this, instead of worrying about how we can fix it, may we breathe in God's life. May we breathe in through faith, believing that God will provide for all that we need. James goes on to write, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. See, James is calling us to a place of obedience, a place to depend on the breath of God to give us all that we need for this life, for this new way of living. See, to follow Jesus, to truly have faith, is to live obediently to God's guidance each day, is to take the risk of stepping out of faith to believe that God knows what's best, that God knows better than any system we can create in our world. The invitation this morning from the scriptures is this, reject Pharaoh's system, this unimaginable system of restless busyness, and instead breathe in the breath of God, following Jesus and discovering something new. For our response this morning, I want you to put everything down. Free yourself of any distractions you have and close your eyes with me. Taking a deep breath in and out. In and out. In and out. You are breathing in and out life. Life given to you by God out of God's bountiful love for you. So breathe it in and out. In and out. And in the silence of this moment, I wonder if God might reveal to each of us the busyness that binds us and the slowdown of everything during this crisis. What busy stuff do we need to let go of? And when we return to this new normal in this undetermined future, what busy stuff do we just need to leave behind? What ceaseless brick-making do we need to leave behind? Breathe in and out. Asking God to help us to recognize that our life is but a mist. Breathing in and out. May we ask God to give us courage to increase our faith, to live into this new system, into this new way of life. Breathing in 
and out. Asking God to give us the courage to follow Jesus. Breathe in and out. Amen and amen.